Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. Today, I'm very excited to have with me Carrie Taylor. Carrie is a certified ergonomist with 30 years of experience in the space, uh, heads a firm called Tailored Ergonomics. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you. So maybe why don't we get started with a bit of background in terms of ergonomics and, and how it helps safety, maybe as a starting point. Sure. So ergonomics is thought of as the art and science of fitting work to people. So we, most ergonomists have studied kinesiology, sometimes psychology. There's another branch of ergonomics that deals Mm -hmm. with more cognitive capabilities, but the area where I practice is mostly biomechanics. So we're looking at physical size and strength of workers and trying to make sure that workplaces are built with those capabilities in mind. Sure. And so what, what are some of the main benefits of looking at ergonomics in a workplace and, and what kind of environments would benefit the most from uh, an ergonomist? So mainly ergonomists are uh, employed in the safety sector trying to attack the um, musculoskeletal disorders or strain sprain injuries that occur in the workplace. So a good chunk of those often about half of workplace injuries are uh, related to that mismatch between workers and jobs and and creating those musculoskeletal injuries. So we are often brought in to help with trying to address those injuries. So in terms of which environments benefit most, I think anyone who's in a workplace who's uncomfortable is probably subconsciously thinking about ergonomics and how could I make myself more comfortable. I spent the majority of my career working with manufacturing, healthcare, offices, distribution, areas where people are working in um, jobs that are either heavy or repetitive or awkward. Those kinds of hazards are the ones that we're typically trying to tackle. So so obviously work environments where it's repetitive, uh, that makes a lot of sense. What about environments where the work is different. I'm um, thinking, for example, utilities, work, utility workers that are not in a uh, same environment day in and day out, but are dealing with lifting, they're moving things, they're going up poles. So there's, there's different hazards. So or even firemen in terms of coming in and out. What are some of the applications in those environments? Those are those are really important jobs where ergonomics needs to be considered and they're much more difficult for us to um, to assess because those sure. things aren't happening all the time so they're harder to see and they're harder to measure and it's harder to wrap your head around how we can you know fix something that doesn't happen all the time but they're very important hazards to address and and sometimes we can take a different look at them and say okay well maybe you know maybe it is causing people to be uncomfortable um, but maybe there's other problems that are associated with the mismatch between the worker and the workplace that we can tackle, such as maybe they're not able to, you know, um, keep up with the pace of the expected pace of work, or maybe they're not able to produce the quality of work that the employer expects. You've recently done some work uh, and some research around 
linking ergonomics to quality and productivity. Uh, can you share a little bit more in terms of how ergonomics can impact broader organizational metrics such as quality and productivity? Yeah, I think it's really important for us as ergonomists to start thinking about how else we can cost justify improvement. So sure. um, one of the challenges we find is that there are some cost benefit analysis tools out there that might look at, you know, if you've got a back injury, it, it's costing the organization this many dollars. And so therefore, if you prevent that back injury, you're going to save, you know, money over the long run. Um, but what we recognized was that those tools don't do a good job of um, estimating the other benefits that ergonomics interventions might have. Mm -hmm. So they can't really help you to um, to say, okay, well, if I improve the quality of work on this job because the person's not working in this awkward sustained posture anymore, um, how, how much money will I save the organization by doing that? Or if I'm able sure. to make them a little bit faster. Um, so part of our research project was we wanted to be able to try and build a better tool for mm -hmm factoring those costs in, particularly where the injuries haven't happened. Maybe they haven't happened yet because it's a new facility, sure. or maybe they haven't um, they haven't been a attributed to a specific job because maybe there's job rotation or it's just difficult to get those stats. But most of the tools that are available only work if there's injury costs that you can grab onto. Sure. Um, and, and so we wanted to build a tool through our research project that would help um, ergonomics and safety professionals and whoever else is trying to implement an ergonomics mm -hmm. improvement to capture those other costs and try to build those into a, a cost justification case. And so what, what are some of the things that an organization can look like in terms of driving the quality productivity, linking it back to, to ergonomics? Because I would imagine it can get into a workstation design if you're in manufacturing in terms of perhaps less movement uh, more sustainable movements, which can also demonstrate productivity gains. If I'm thinking of, for example, an automotive, it's very easy to, to shave a second or not easy, but once you shave a second, there's a significant impact on the full production line. So all of these pieces, is there, is there environments where they have looked at that linkage between quality productivity and, and ergonomics? There are, there's a ton of research out there that look at specific case studies and where they've been able to make an improvement and capture some costs. Um, but there isn't one that helps. There isn't a paper that helps you kind of figure out how, how to do that in your own organization. I, I can give you kind of three examples where we try, sure. maybe not quantitatively, but where that people will be able to relate to. So as a quality example, I spent years looking at a job looking at it, meaning I walked by it and I saw it and I knew it was a problem, but there weren't injuries there. Um, the job involved inspecting a part. The part was a, a flat piece that had contours on it. And the worker was responsible for inspecting grooves that were horizontally oriented on the top of this part. So okay. in order to see the grooves, they had to see if there were components in them and if they were properly placed. In order to see the grooves, they either had to bend over the part on the conveyor as it moved by, or they had to lift the part up and, and, and reorient it so that they could see inside the sure. grooves. Because from while they were standing, there was no possible way for them to actually see the components. So I knew that there was a lot of neck bending. I knew that they were lifting this part unnecessarily, but there were no... There wasn't a case for it. I couldn't say, you know, there's a high risk of injury. They were rotating, sure. so they weren't there all day. Um, and so after years of, you know, 
saying, why can't we tilt this conveyor? I just want to tilt this conveyor. And apparently that was a big deal. And the, the engineering manager said, Carrie, we don't need to. There's no injuries. It's not important. I walked into the quality manager and I said, you know, I think they could do a lot better job of this inspection if the part was tilted towards them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, oh, you know what? We're actually spending X number of thousands of dollars a month to have a person at our customer site reinspecting those parts because they're slipping by. And I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> after all of these years, you know, I just wasn't talking to the right person. Um, and so I think that was an example where I we could make a big impact if we had just been working with, you know, quality more closely and trying to help them, you know, understand where it's a human capability that, you know, we're sure. not designing for. So that was one example. Um, A productivity example, um, I've been working with a client who has a lot of people doing grinding. So they're they're grinding off long tubes and it's super quality um, sensitive. So there's never going to be a quality issue because they're going to keep working at it until it's perfect. So it's inspected all the time. but the cost of that quality is that the job is very demanding. So they're they're bending over, they're they're running this grinder, they're pushing really hard. It's awkward, it's forceful, um, and they do it for long periods of time. And so we started looking into well, you know, are there better abrasive materials that they could use on these grinding guns that maybe wouldn't be so hard? You wouldn't have to push sure. as hard. And so we started, you know, looking for that and we brought in some vendors and they tried some new products and and we found some abrasive materials that, you know, reduced the amount of time that it took for them to grind the tubes. And so they were able to, and it also took less effort, so they didn't have to push as hard um, on the tool. So we were able to make an ergonomic improvement that had a big impact on the workers' comfort, um, but also had a big impact on, on their productivity because they were able to do the job in less amount of time. So again, there's a productivity example, but it, it mm-hmm. wouldn't have any effect on the quality. The quality was going to be perfect either it, way it because gonna we go were going to inspect it and keep doing it until it was right. And the third area where we're trying to have an impact outside of musculoskeletal disorders is is in employee engagement. And so, so what happens when an employee is working in an uncomfortable position for long periods of time, or they're doing sure. something that's heavy and awkward, and they're you know at risk of developing an injury? They 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 start to become disengaged they're not able to work as effectively they they aren't as happy to be at work if they're in customer service it probably affects their interaction with with the people that they're talking with um their their customers so i see this right now as a huge um opportunity i guess uh for for people who are have uh, implementing remote work programs so mm-hmm. in an office environment we we've done to date, a pretty good job of building furniture that's adjustable. So we're sitting in good chairs, our lumbar curve is supported, um, you know, the screens are all height adjustable, the keyboards are adjustable. We've, we've, we've gotten to a good point uh, in ergonomics um, in office environments. Mm-hmm. But now we send people home and they want to be home, so they're not going to complain about the the work environment. And so we've been starting to do virtual office assessments for people working in their home offices and they're required to send us in a video so that we can see what they're doing before we, you know, work through an assessment with them um, on a video chat. And what we've seen is abominable. I mean, people are working at kitchen tables on wooden chairs or on a sofa with a TV table and their arms are fully outstretched. And I think, you know, if they... If they, if their supervisors could see them, if we had all these people in an office working in these postures, we would be 
awestruck. We would say there's no possible way that they could work productively in that environment and, and be engaged and, and, you know, work effectively. Um, but it's happening and it's happening all over the place. And I think that eventually these people are going to be in so much pain that they're not going to be able to get anything done. <laughs> um, so I think there's another huge opportunity for us there is to try and think about how are we expecting people to work when they're in a home office environment and how can we optimize that? How can we help them to, you know, to be working in a ergonomic uh, environment? So, so I think those are really good examples. I think the the first two really, for me, send a message that it should be ideally part of a continuous improvement process that's part of quality management, where people are <clears throat> looking at it both from a safety standpoint, but also how do I improve the quality the, of the product that I'm delivering and really looking at it holistically, because it, it sounds like from the opportunities you have or you've seen, it, it may it's not just a cost-benefit analysis. It's also how do we improve the overall workflow so that the workers happier, safer, but also delivering to a better outcome, whether it's quality or productivity. Yep, absolutely. And, and what can safety organizations do to get closer? Because that, that tends to be a challenge in many organizations. The two parts are completely separate, even if there's a lot of connections. Have you seen some areas of success around this? I think we have to work more closely with engineering if there is a um, continuous improvement, a Six Sigma, a lean program that we need to, to reach out to those people and offer to, to collaborate because the prob problems that they're working on probably are the same types of problems that we're sure. working on. Um, I think in, in Canada, most ergonomists come in through the safety door. When I'm called for, for an ergonomic consulting project, it's usually HR or safety that's calling me. Um, but we also get calls from engineering. And when we're getting called from engineering, we know that those changes are going to be implemented because it's in the engineer's interest to try and optimize the design of the work. Um, I think with safety, it's harder because they're, they're reliant on legislation or injuries in order to be able to justify a change. So, you know, an employer might do some, might make a change because it's the right thing to do, but if it's an expensive change, it becomes more difficult to justify. Sure. This episode of the Safety Guru Podcast is brought to you by Propolo Consulting, the leading safety and safety culture advisory firm. Whether you are looking to assess your safety culture, develop strategies to level up your safety performance, introduce human performance capabilities, re-energize your BBS program, enhance supervisory safety capabilities, or introduce unique safety leadership training and talent solutions, Propolo has you covered. Visit us at propolo.com. So your last example, the one around the ergonomics from home, I've seen a lot of organizations implement that at the front end of COVID when, mm -hmm. when people were sent home to do some ergo checks at home, uh, because as you mentioned, a lot of people didn't have the right office environments for it. I think you bring up a good point that people are happy being at home, so they may not necessarily report the discomfort until it's too late um, and becomes a, a significant issue. What are some of the things that organizations can do to, to get ahead of this? So you mentioned doing the ergo assessment. I've seen some organizations do virtual ergo assessments, not necessarily even with an ergonomist, but just to show me your workstation, not in a, in a, in a negative way, but just to say, okay, let, let's understand what you have and, and say what, what you need to invest in your work design uh, to, to be more productive. Tell me a little bit about some of the things you've seen in that, in that area. 
I think it's important to provide employees with training um, mm-hmm. so that they're able to set up their workstation, but also the resources that they need. So a lot of employers allowed people to take stuff home from the office at the beginning of COVID. So people brought their chairs sure. home. Um, they might have brought their, um, if they had a sit-stand desk, I know some people have been able, allowed to take that home. But we need to make sure that people are able to work in a in a decent posture and get some posture changes during the day and that there's they feel that if they have a problem they can reach out and get some help for it um so it's it's about and and some some uh organizations offered a budget so they would say okay here you can have a thousand dollars a year for wellness and but they they gave so much uh flexibility around how that money could be spent that you know people would spend it on yoga classes and and sure. things that are valuable but the, they're still sitting on the sofa and you know working on the tv table so it's uh, i think it needs to be a priority i think at the beginning we thought this was temporary right? right so we all just did what we could to get through it but now it's become permanent and and i think you know we can't we can't have people working at the dining room table permanently <laughs> <laughs> that, but it's interesting because a lot of the tools like even standing desks have become much more affordable for a home office compared to before. Because if you think about the ones and the investment in, in corporate environments, they used to be incredibly expensive, but now they're available in a budget, a very tight budget, even in many cases, or there's different modular elements that people can, can create. So there's a lot more options. Yeah, there is. There's a lot of product on the market that I wouldn't recommend as well. Like um, a lot of the sit-stand desks don't go low enough for most people. Mm. Um, so it's like anything, I guess, supply and demand. So there are, you know, suppliers out there that are producing cheap quality products that, you know, when you buy it, you're going to be disappointed, but there is by and large, there are some really good products that have come down a lot in price as well. So it's become a lot more practical to set up a decent home office. Sure. So thank you for sharing. You had some really good examples in terms of connecting with different parts of the business, in terms of how ergonomics has a bigger, broader impact than just on safety. Uh, One of the key elements, obviously, in terms of driving safety, but also ergonomics is a supervisor. Tell me a little bit about some of the the strategies that can empower supervisors to have a great impact around ergonomics. We found that supervisors are kind of the the middlemen between the work work play workers that know the jobs and management who kind of know the organization but might not have their you know their feet on the floor as much and this, so mm-hmm. when, when we approach uh, organizations trying to look for opportunities to improve ergonomics we try to approach the supervisors and get some time with them they're, they're busy but try to get some time with them to try and understand where the opportunities might be so we ask them about um, what jobs people are trying to post out of so if if there's a job sure. that you know, it's an entry level job and the first opportunity people want out of it, that's probably a job where there's, you know, mm. ergonomics issues, right? Because the, there's a reason why people want out of them or we and we ask them where do the mistakes happen? So if there's a quality issue, if a defect gets out of your department or if people are making mistakes or if they're missing things when they're inspecting, where is that happening? Because again, that perhaps it's because sure. the job isn't designed well for them. Uh, where do bottlenecks happen? So if people are standing around waiting for somebody to finish something, who is it and what are they doing? Because that might be <laughs> right. another opportunity for us to try and, and fix things. And if there is an, a job where people are most likely to call in sick, 
which sure. job is it? You know, that day that such and such is scheduled, all of a sudden you've got, you know, three people absent and you've got to try and cover that. We, a lot of times absenteeism is really a better indicator um, of the ergonomics issues than, than WSIB type of stats. So sure. there's, you know, those are kinds of things that supervisors will have a, a better sense of perhaps in the HR department or the manager in the department. Um, they, they kind of have, because they're the ones that are having to try and solve those problems. Absolutely. And, and so the other part you mentioned earlier is you did the research project trying to look at quality and, and ergonomics and productivity and try to find some of the linkages. Can you share a little bit about some of the, the findings and learnings from, from that project? Yeah, we had a project set up that was partially funded by Sonami and we were doing it in conjunction with Fanshawe College. And our original goal was to try and find partners, industry partners that would allow us to try to cost justify an ergonomics improvement that they were already working on for another reason, but try and do that based on quality, productivity and employee engagement metrics. Mm -hmm. So the first interesting piece that we learned was that it's hard to get industry partners to, to sign up for those kinds of things. Uh, most of our contact people are HR and safety. And so the idea of, to them, the idea of trying to reach out to uh, their quality and their product production people was over was maybe overwhelming. I don't know. Mm -hmm. we, we don't really know why we couldn't we had so much trouble, but we didn't manage to get enough industry partners to, to do the project the way we had originally planned to. So that was interesting. So we pivoted and decided, OK, instead of trying to do apply a cost benefit analysis tool sure. let's try to build one build a spreadsheet and build training around how to use it so that's what we did we we created a course uh, for engineers safety and ergo people that would uh, help them to identify and quantify those in improvements in productivity quality employee engagement um, so that they'd be able to cost justify an ergonomics improvement and we so we we created this one day course and we we piloted it it went really well so we're going to be running it again but um it was essentially we uh we taught them about some of these lean and six sigma tools because part of our yeah. our our, the, our research team had some expertise in that area and then we helped them to apply it and and help them to try and um, mock up and quantify what what would what would happen if you changed this so we used a, a game a board game um operation and we helped uh, participants to kind of see, okay, well, I can see that this is an ergonomics issue. You know, if you've played the game operation, you know that it's kind of involves bending and holding sure. tweezers and it's repetitive. And, and so we created this situation where they had to quantify what the problems with that were and how productive a, a surgeon would be in mm -hmm. that job. Um, and what quality issues, so how many times they hit the buzzer when they were trying to remove the organs. And then we were able to mock up in the workshop some improvements. So we, you know, we gave them the ability to change the, the working height and the reach and lighting and tools and all kinds of things and then mock up and quantify. And so it's through that process of experimentation uh, that they were able to actually put some numbers to mm. how the how the surgeon um, felt about the job. So what kind of engagement effects would we have and how productive was he or she and how uh, how many times did they hit the buzzer or drop an organ when they were transferring it. And so we were able to kind of build a little um, uh, spreadsheet that would quantify all of that and help to cost justify an ergonomics improvement using those other metrics. 
So we, we've been trying to use it when we have the opportunity within our practice. Uh, and we're looking for obviously more opportunities to, to use it more and kind of fine tune it, but it's got a lot of promise. And, and I think that uh, that's the way we want to go in the future to try and help clients cost justify their ergonomics improvements. Sounds good. So th- Carrie, thank you for sharing a lot of uh, insights across the spectrum for ergonomics, um, important elements from a, from a consideration in terms of safety programs, in terms of where to eliminate, where to go find some opportunities. I like your comments around the, the supervisors uh, and all the way in, down to home offices and, and some of the, uh, the opportunities organizations have to make sure that people are working in the right uh, work environment. So thank you so much for, for joining me today, Carrie. If somebody wants to get in touch with you. What's the best way to, to do that? Oh, probably through our website, tailoredergo.com. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Elevate your safety. Like every successful athlete, top leaders continuously invest in their safety leadership with an expert coach to boost safety performance. Begin your journey at execsafetycoach.com. Come back in two weeks for the next episode with your host, Eric Makrowski. This podcast is powered by Propolo Consulting.